Chris Jones will come forward this evening and read the word. Our reading this evening is uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, a time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to, to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And an angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You're going to find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the, sh the, sh the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. You can sit now. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Augustine of Hippo penned about the birth of the Son of God and the Son of Man. Man's maker was made man that he, the ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on his journey, that the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. Merry Christmas, Redemption City Church and guests. It's a good night 
to gather and celebrate the most incredible moment in human history, the birth of the Son of Man and the Son of God. God putting on flesh and becoming man eternally is what we celebrate tonight. And before we take a closer look at these scriptures, go with me to the throne room of grace and ask this one who lies in a manger today to open our eyes to behold wonderful things in his word. Let's pray. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the worship of your, from your people to your glory. Thank you for coming to us. Thank you for visiting us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for, God, the greatest gift we could ever receive, your son, Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. Be honored tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, historian Luke makes sure that make sure he makes sure that we ground this story in human history. We don't walk through a back of a, a coat closet to get to the birth of Jesus. We don't walk through the Shire and go to Mordor to get to the birthplace of Jesus Christ. No, it's in a small town, Bethlehem, during the reign of Caesar Augustus. This is not a fairy tale. This is the story behind all stories of human history. And, and that is the reign of Caesar Augustus, the most powerful leader perhaps the world had ever known. That is until the birth of the one called Savior, the one called Lord and God in our passage today that's lying in a manger. Number one, the Son of God and Son of Man was born in humble circumstances. Chapter 2, 1 through 7. Through Caesar's effective leadership, he, was born, he, he bore the famous period in Roman called Pax Romana. That is the peace of Rome. And towards the end of his life, he said, I have found Rome bricks, but I have left it marble. And during his reign is when the worship of emperors began, and they took on, emperors took on the title, they must be called Lord and God. This false Lord and false God had about 14 years more to reign when the true king was born. Augustus decreed a census for the entire Roman world that they must be registered. And this census was designed for tax purposes to make sure that they were getting as much wealth as they possibly could. And he's flexing his powerful muscles of this imperial decree. And Rome was the most, one of the most powerful kingdoms this earth had ever seen. But God shows off his supreme sovereignty by moving in the heart of this emperor to get Mary, Joseph, and Jesus to the place it was prophesied that the Savior would be born. And remember that Luke is writing for the certainty of the audience that he is writing for. He's writing to a guy named Theophilus. I want you to have certainty concerning the things that have been accomplished among you. Well, I want to take you back to Daniel and think about this. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and, and in this dream, uh, during the exile of God's people, there was a statue made of different types of uh, material, gold, silver, clay, bronze, and iron. And there came a rock from a mountain that shattered this statue. And King Nebuchadnezzar was baffled at the meaning of this dream and, until Daniel interpreted it for him under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says in Daniel chapter 2, 44 and 45, And in the days of those kings, 
The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. So four kingdoms would rise, and then another kingdom would come and shatter them all. And Rome is the fourth kingdom to come about since Babylon. And in our passage today, the, the king, the king of this eternal kingdom was born that would shatter all kingdoms. Under the reign of this powerful leader, a savior is born in the most humble of circumstances. And he's also called Mary's firstborn son in the passage today. And in Psalm 89, 27 speaks of this title, firstborn son, when it comes to Jesus. And it says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. This kingdom that destroys all others will come from a firstborn son, King Jesus. As Caesar would have sat on his powerful throne that night, he would have never imagined that the true king of kings, the Lord of lords, was, was born in the most humble of circumstances. Verse 3 through 5, this trip we learn from Nazareth to Bethlehem is about 100 miles. By foot or by donkey, we don't know. Luke emphasizes that Jesus is born in Bethlehem and is from the house of David, just like all the prophecies said he would be. This is the one. This is the Savior. And then in Luke chapter 2, 6 and 7, it says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. How understated are these verses, these sentences explaining that Jesus Christ is born? I've always been shocked at how simply and matter-of-factly it's said that Jesus Christ was born. I would expect there at least to be an exclamation point when discussing that Jesus Christ was born on a day in Bethlehem, and punctuation matters. I love that I have a microphone and I have a brother in the house, and he doesn't have one. Uh, so he can't talk back to you, but my, my brother, we pick on him because he does not use any other punctuation in text besides periods. So when I text my brother, hey, do you want to hang out? Sure, period. Do you know how aggressive that period is? <laughs> he doesn't understand that's aggression. I think, why, why was I born? Why? I'll never ask you to hang out with me again. Why do you hate me? Right? Sure, period. And then when we pick on him, he overcorrects and uses a thousand exclamation points, which is mocking me now, right? So it's like, you don't want to be with me now, you're mocking me. Punctuation matters. And the reason why Christ's birth is so simply stated is clear in the scriptures because of Mary's song in Luke 1:52, it says, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. How does Luke present Christ's coming? Humble. 
the most humble of circumstances for the king. Why? Because he will be exalted. This child is given the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's presenting him rightly in humble circumstances because God intends to exalt him to the highest place. And C.J. Mahaney speaks of these circumstances of Christ's birth when he says, this is the most unthinkable unthinkable place for any child to be born, particularly the Son of God. The humility of his birth set the tone for his life, his ministry, and his death. He did not enter the world with a personal display of glory. He abandoned the glories of heaven and came to save sinners like you and me. Amen to that. And there was no place for them in the end, most likely occupied by other travelers coming through to come through the census and be registered. But this is sure, if Caesar Augustus needed a place for his wife to give birth to a child, there would have been room in the end. There would have been room in a house. There would have been room made. But someone infinitely greater than him was born that night and was laid in a manger A feeding trough for animals. Luke shows that this story begins with the manger and he ends on a throne seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. This this story begins in a manger and ends with the highest throne given to the real king where the earth would be his footstool. Martin Luther says on this point, if Christ had arrived with trumpets and laid in a cradle of gold, his birth would have been a splendid affair, but it would not be a comfort to me. He was rather to lie in the lap of a poor maiden and and be thought of little significance in the eyes of the world. Now I can come to him. Now he reveals himself to the miserable in order not to give any impression that he arrives with great power, splendor, wisdom, and aristocratic manners. The glory of this moment is hard to understand. It's hard to wrap our minds around this profound mystery that God became a man and will forever be in the likeness of man. Remember, Elizabeth calls Jesus Lord when she visited Mary that night. She called him Lord in Luke 143. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That phrase up until that point had been used 10 times. Lord, and it always spoke of Yahweh, Israel's God. And so, so far in the story of Luke, Jesus is identified as a child of Israel, a child of David, a son of man. And now he's presented over and over again as Lord, Yahweh. So Jesus represents us as real humans the people of God, in right relationship with God as our representative, and in the same man, the one true God. It's hard to understand this one man with two natures, fully God and fully man. What child is this? And he's lying in a manger. And in the the Lord, yet a child, as he lays there, He still is upholding the universe by the word of his power. This is a profound 
mystery. The real Lord and God was born that night in Bethlehem and his reign eternal. Caesar Augustus had about 14 more years to go. Jesus' reign eternal. His mission, peace on earth, in heaven, and in the hearts of men. Reflect. Reflection number two is that the Son of God and Son of Man was announced from heaven to humble men. This is verses 8 through 12, the shepherds. Now to the shepherds in the field at night. How amazing is it that God's choice of announcement of the birth of his son are these shepherds. It's not to Caesar Augustus. It's not to the prominent Roman officials, but to lowly shepherds in the field. And again, Luke is screaming that the lowly are brought high and exalted by God. Most interestingly, because of the location of these sheep, where they were located, they were likely the ones that would be, that would be sacrificed in the temple. So Jesus was born in a place close to fields full of lambs set aside for the slaughter, for the removal of the sins of the people. And here Jesus lays in a manger, foreshadowing his future. For animals cannot take away our sins, but we needed a God-man, a Savior from heaven to be born unto us. And one should not romanticize the occupation of shepherds. In general, shepherds were dishonest. They were unclean according to the standards of the law. They would not even be able to give testimony in the court of law. It wasn't recognized. And they represent the outcasts and sinners for, for whom Jesus came. Such outcasts were the first recipients of the good news from heaven. Luke 2, 10 and 11 say, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There but here is the first record in the New Testament of the preaching of the gospel, the good news of great joy for all people. And notice how personal the angel's message is unto you. Unto you is born this day. Simply amazing. We also see the child's significance through the titles that he is given by this angel. He is Savior. He is Christ. He is Lord. He is a Savior. He is Christ. And Christ means anointed. And usually those who are anointed in the Old Testament were kings and priests. And Jesus Christ is the prophet, priest, and king fulfilling these offices. He is the great God of Israel. Christ was born for you on this day in Bethlehem. It's amazing. This is great news, uh, good news of great Joy. He is the promised one that is sent to save us from our sins. Great joy is right. This is God's greatest gift. It's his son, Jesus Christ. And it has the effect. It has this effect on the shepherds. Great joy. We see them leaving and praising God and wondering at what they have seen and heard. Christ was born for you on that day in Bethlehem. And he's lying in a manger. Just think, the glory of God appears to a bunch of nameless shepherds. And this is good news, because these men represent all people. These men represent us. They represent ordinary people. They represent sinners like you and me. And I want you to see that Christ has chosen to announce 
the birth of his son, not just to them, but to us. We've heard this story, and, and Christ has been born unto us. Thirdly, the Son of God and Son of Man deserves glory and gives peace. This is verses 13 through 20. One angel was terrifying to the shepherds. We see this. Every time someone sees an angel, they are terrified. Now, with this message ended, suddenly appeared a multitude of other angels praising God, and they are called a host. And you can translate that word host, army. So heaven's angelic army shows up and declares peace. They declare glory to God and they declare peace upon upon all who God is pleased. Here's, Here's a question for you. Is there a connection as we read the angel's announcement in verse 14? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Is there a connection between God's glory and our peace? Is there a connection between God's glory and our peace? We we learn that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I think that's right. But I want you you to hear the connection in Romans 5, 1 and 2. Listen to this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Did you hear that? We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Justification is an eternal act of God upon you to eternally declare you right in his sight. It is this declaration of justification for us is the greatest news that could happen, that you need forgiveness from God. You need righteousness, perfect righteousness. Listen to me. When you stand before God at the end of your life, you need your sins forgiven, and you need the perfect righteousness of Christ, without which you will not stand. And in this one that has come, he offers both forgiveness and righteousness. It's called the sweet exchange. Christ became what he was not, a sinner, so that we could become what we are not, righteous. Jesus on the cross has taken our sin and offered you his perfect righteousness. Yes, peace on earth to all whom he is pleased. And and I want you to hear that. There's a qualifier here. It's not just peace on earth. It's peace on earth among those whom he is pleased. So in the four Gospels, peace is mentioned 24 times, and 14 of them are in the Gospel of Luke. 14 of those times are in this Gospel. And I want you to notice that it's not universal peace. There's an important qualifier with whom he is pleased. Here's 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 a statement and a question. In Jesus' coming, God offers peace to the whole world, but only God's people will receive it and enjoy it forever. But here's a question. With whom is God pleased? With whom is God pleased? Who does God rest his favor upon? Listen carefully. 
on Christ and on Christ alone. Church, the the resounding truth, Luke anticipates that Theophilus keeps reading. He doesn't stop in chapter 2, but he goes to chapter 3 and beyond. And in Luke chapter 3, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son." with whom I am well pleased. God is pleased with one, and it is his son, Jesus Christ. Listen, Adam failed and we have failed, but Jesus is now our representative. And he shares his status with us through faith. God is pleased with all who come to faith in Jesus Christ. We get to wear His righteousness. We get to wear the pleasure of the Father upon His Son as if it were our very own. And Luke 24, 36 says this, As they were talking after Jesus' resurrection about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. And this applies to us by faith. Isn't this the best news? That brings great joy, that that you do not have to earn God's favor upon your life. The message is leave here and be better, work harder, and keep all the commandments, and maybe you'll make it at the end. No. The Father is pleased with the Son, and the Son has offered that to you by faith. I'm going to burn myself on that candle. (laughs) I'm not going to do that anymore. Where's my cowboy? Josh? Come get me if I start on fire, okay? (laughs) Help me out. And then the shepherds are the first evangelists. They heard the gospel and they came to Christ. They saw and they believed and they proclaimed. And then all wondered at what they had said. And Mary treasured this in her heart. And there was nothing greater than having a front row to the movements of God in the world. And, And there was nothing, this is the most incredible thing that's happened in the world since In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the greatest thing that has happened since then. And they returned to work, these shepherds, and they were glorifying and praising God. Listen, for all that they had heard and seen. Redemption City Church and guests, for those who are in Christ, what will we hear and see when our faith becomes sight? What joy is laying before us because of Christ our Savior? Believers in the room, we know, we know, believers in the room, if you are justified and in Christ, you know that we need peace every day. You, I want you to hear afresh this morning that the glory of God and our peace, they are connected. The more you give yourself to the glory of God, the more peace you may experience in this life. The more you give yourself for this glory, you might experience more peace. We, we need to learn to live keeping our eyes on Jesus. You know, when Jesus saw Peter and Peter, he called him out onto the water. Peter really stepped out of a boat and really walked on water until he took his eyes off of Jesus. And he saw the wind and the waves and he was filled with great fear and anxiety and stress and he started to sink. I wonder, 
What's going on in your life right now that you're responding in fear, stress, anxiety, worry, and not faith? Listen, have you not heard the good news that God has invited you to cast your cares upon him? 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Church, I, you are invited by this great God to cast your fears, your anxieties in prayer, to cast them upon the Lord. And then for all those who are not in Christ, if you're a guest and you're not in God's family, I, I want you to hear what Don Carson says. The most important fact in God's universe is what God thinks of you. The most important fact in this universe is what God thinks of you. And listen, we are in God's disfavor because of our sin. And, but the birth of Christ, the Son, has made a way for us to find favor with him. In Christ and in Christ alone, by faith, great joy. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I want you to be like the shepherds that they heard the gospel, they came to Christ, they saw, they believed, and they proclaimed. Jesus' earthly life began in Bethlehem in a wooden manger, and his life would temporarily end just outside of Jerusalem on a wooden cross. The reason he died is because we are sinners indebted to God with a debt that we cannot pay in full. It's an eternal debt. God is pure and holy and infinite. So sin against him would require us to pay an infinite price with our eternal souls in hell. Not facing God's love and favor, but his just wrath against our sins. But Jesus has defeated Satan, sin, death, hell. For all who would come to him for salvation, you need to be saved. You need his forgiveness. You need his righteousness. You can only have it by believing in him and bowing your heart to him in faith at his birth. Did you hear it, sa it said that he's wrapped in swaddling cloths and before his death, he's he is wrapped in a purple robe with people mocking him. And after his death, he is wrapped in a linen death shroud. Mary Magdalene would find this death shroud folded in an empty tomb on the third day since he was not there because Christ had powerfully risen from the dead. Now what does he wear? In Revelation 1, 13 through 17, it says, And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, the hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when he saw, and when I saw him, John says, I fell at my feet as though dead. And then our Savior laid his right hand on John and saying, fear not, for I am the first and the last. Hail the King, Redemption City Church. Hail the King that was born that day in Bethlehem and now stands in glory in heaven.
Do you believe you need a savior? Heaven thinks you do. Turn from your life of sin and turn to Jesus. Call upon his name and you will find peace with God and everlasting life. Haven't you turned your back on him long enough? Won't you call upon him tonight? Listen, Luke 22:21 ends today. At, at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. What a precious name. We know his name. A savior was born to us, and, and what a treasured name. We treasure the name of our God. And, and my wish for you this Christmas is that you find peace with God in the arms of Jesus. And, and he, for he is the only place you can find it. There is no other name given from God to, to earth for us to find salvation. His first throne, a manger. And now he sits at the right hand of God the Father. I want to close today by reading lyrics from Andrew Peterson's song, Gather Round Ye Children, Come. He captures it well when he says, Gather round ye children, come. Listen to the old, old story of the power of death undone by an infant born of glory, son of God, son of man. Gather round, remember now how creation held its breath, how it let out a sigh and filled up the sky with the angels. Son of God, Son of Man. So sing out for joy for the brave little boy who was God, but he made himself nothing. Well, he gave up his pride and he came here to die like a man. Therefore God exalted him to the place of highest praises and he gave him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus, Son of God, we would sing out for joy for the brave little boy who was God who made himself nothing. And he gave up his pride and he came here to die like a man. So in heaven and earth below, every knee would bow and worship. Every tongue would proclaim Jesus. He reigns with the angels. So gather round, ye children, come. Listen to the old, old story of the power of death undone by an infant born of glory, son of God, son of man. Let's pray. God. Words fail at capturing the beauty, the glory, the wisdom, the power of your son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the eternal Godhead taking on flesh and coming to visit and redeem us. Jesus, you are that rock that has come from a mountain made by no human hand that crushes the kingdoms of this earth. We know that Every king will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God, tonight I pray that if anyone is in this room and they are far from you, I pray that they hear the good news, that they bow their knee and confess you as Savior. And Lord, I pray for your people to treasure 